have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard, and you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not happy with doing it, Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This episode's guest is uh, it's a good one. It's Mr. Mark Tremonti of Alterbridge, of Tremonti, and you might have heard of uh, the first band he was in, uh, Creed. And uh, with me, as always, from a slew of other podcasts is Mr. Daniel Terry. How are you doing this afternoon? I am doing fantastic, man. I'm coming down off of the Cannibal Corpse high I was on. Uh, or maybe it was a cannabis corpse high. That was confusing when I was telling Siri what to listen to. I kind of <laughs> kept get, alternating back and forth between cannabis corpse and cannibal corpse. But, uh, you know, I, I'm getting some of that aggression out of my system. I'm coming down and, um, you know, getting ready to enjoy this episode about Mark Tremonti. Yeah, it was uh, a, a pretty interesting thing, the way that this chat ended up happening. Um, obviously, Louder Than Life it didn't happen. And uh, this is an interview that I had scheduled initially or tried to schedule for for that. And uh, thankfully, the publicist um, had actually asked if I would be willing to do a phoner if the interview in person wasn't able to, to ma- wasn't able to pan out. And so I obviously said yes. Um, didn't hear anything. Festival gets, you know, canceled. And I just kind of assumed that was it. I think maybe I had sent a follow-up email that was like, hey, if there's any time for Mark to do some press, you know, love to be considered. Uh, and then magically I get an email out of the blue that's like, hey, uh, Mark's got a little gap of time tomorrow to do some press. Uh, if you are interested, let me know. And, uh, of course, I hopped right on that. Required me to required me to move my lunch around a little bit. So uh, nothing like having to get into a tiny little broom closet, basically, to do this interview, which I think really puts where a podcast is in perspective because <laughs> uh, you know i do this in, in you know a pretty nice little office of, here in my house typically uh or you know if i have to do them at work uh usually i get to utilize the like our conference room that we don't really use a whole lot uh but i was kind of booted out of there and the next quietest place i could find was a little closet in our break room <laughs> he's doing it for you guys john is always mildly inconvenienced in order to get these interviews out for you guys every week yeah, I think you can hear some of the uh, bagging machines in the background going pch, pch, as I was talking. Well, yeah, they were actually working. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they were, and so was I. Um, but, you know, it was kind of funny. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to mention this, but I think it's been something I've shared quite a bit, so I thought I would I would laugh about it with uh, for those who maybe want, to, want a good laugh. Um Leading up to this, I was looking for some interviews that Mark maybe had done uh, to kind of see if the line of questioning I had um, had already been answered or not. And oh, man. And in my digging, I found an interview from, uh, I think 2016? Yeah, 2016. Yeah, 2016. And to be fair, uh, the person who did the interview is from Sweden. But, you know, not for nothing, I talked to a Swede last week who was able to talk just fine for over an hour with me 
And so I feel like that excuse of, you know, there's a language barrier, uh, I'm going to kind of throw out the window a little bit. But it was single-handedly one of the most awkward interviews, quote-unquote, I have ever heard. So much so that I shared it with Toomey, who I ended up finding out was also doing an interview with Mark. And uh, I said it to Dan right away. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I listened to that interview before I actually listened to your interview, John. So it was... uh really a good example of how to not interview somebody and i would say because i've got a couple highlights if you don't mind what's me sharing cooking? them yeah what's cooking uh the other one was uh so you're in three bands uh creed alter bridge and tremonti so like what's the difference between the three bands <laughs> and i was really hoping he was going to be like nothing they're basically all identical it's stat singing on every single one of them. <laughs> like, I, I and that one was funny. Um, the whole confusion about like, I guess in other countries you, they refer to television shows oh, as yeah. serials. Yes. So she's like, if you were on a TV serial, what would you be? And he's like, what? And she's like, TV serial. And he's like, what? And she's like, TV serial. And he's like, what? <laughs> and then she's like, what? Do you not call it a TV serial in America? You know, like like a television show, and he's like, "Oh yeah," um, and then he's like, "I don't know. I guess I I would you know just be in a happy, a happy TV show." But the funniest question she asked to me was like, "Who's the mom in the studio?" Oh my god! <laughs> and again, you're talking about you're talking about this dude's solo band, and it's just funny that you, instead of like, because I've I've definitely heard the term band dad before. Yes. But, like, I've never heard anybody refer to, like, who is the mother in the studio. And so I listened to another interview that they did with Gojira, like, you know, a couple of weeks later. And uh, asked, like, pretty much the exact same questions. And uh, he goes, she starts off the interview. She goes, what's up? And he goes, airplanes. (laughs) And she's like, she's like, what? And he's like, airplanes. And she's like, what? I don't understand. What are you even saying right now? And he's all like, never mind. It was just, it was just like a joke. <laughs> it was so funny. Yeah, it was a very interesting. And the crazy thing is it's literally just the phone call. It's like 16 minutes. But I swear when you're in the throes of the conversation, it's like, oh, God, it feels like at least 30 or 40 minutes have gone by. And you're like, could this get any worse? To be completely fair, I'm sure there are people who think what I do sucks. So, I mean, it's all relative, but... It's just it's one of those things sometimes in, in doing your prep that uh, sometimes you you can you can stumble across some uh, some things that are unapologetically funny that aren't even trying to be. Did you see that one? There's a really awkward one with kill switch engage. Yes. Yeah, so it's a, a I person asked interview. I asked Mike when I had him on a while ago if that was a work, and he said yes. Oh, he said that was a fake interview. Yeah, that they had like pre-set it up to be like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that the other day. Like, if we just did really shitty interviews on purpose, if, yeah. Like, if people, if we'd like become known for that, like, <laughs> or like you're really professional, like you've got this track record, and then you bring me on there, and I'm like, so how exactly big is your dick? You know, like, <laughs> just questions like that, and uh, you know, probably get a lot of subscribers, but it would feel kind of disrespectful, I think, to the artists. Yes, because <laughs> I worry about that so much. Like when people. Um, I heard an interview um, with the lead singer of Cole-esque um, a while back, and he was saying how, like, back in the back in the late '90s, 
when you would do an interview, you'd have really no idea. There was no way to go and check out the publication or anything. It's like you're just on a phone call with somebody you've never talked to before. He's like, and we're talking to this guy, and then all of a sudden I realize it's not a real interview. It's a guy doing a really bad Arnold Schwarzenegger impression, asking us the most ridiculous shit that he can think <laughs> of to ask. And he's like, he's like, that happened more often than it didn't happen back in the late 90s. That sucks. Yeah, I mean, the one thing in kind of shifting it from you know slagging on other interviewers or whatever is... Um, with doing this interview, you know, I didn't really want to ask too much about Creed and nor really Alter Bridge, but I kind of wanted to get a nice all encompassing wide array interview in 25 minutes or so. And I feel like I did a pretty good job with that. Um, you know, talking about the new Tremonti record, A Dying Machine, um, the concept between it and the book that he co he put out to coincide with the release future plans for it or, you know, re-releasing the album in a chronological order to go with the story. I mean, that was kind of an interesting thing he was saying about how, like, he had a different track listing and then was like, oh, it didn't make for a good record, which I thought was weird because usually it seems like when you're writing these things, you kind of write the music to go in order like that to go with the story, not just to kind of be like, oh, here's here's all the music and just kind of flop it around to make it sound like a good record from start to finish, like have good flow. Well, I think sequencing is extremely important, though, from the perspective of a record. And if you're if you're the kind of person that's just been putting out records your whole life and haven't really done like a big over overlapping concept like that, I can see how there might be a little bit of a disconnect between how a record flows musically versus a story being told in a certain order. So, like, I totally I totally understand why it was done like that. Um, we just got done talking about a band on my other podcast that was doing this huge like trilogy of albums. And one of the things that we said is that like, yeah, it tells a story, but it doesn't flow well at all. Like these songs should have been, these songs should have been rearranged, you know, and, and made, you know, to flow well as a musical album, because for the most part, I mean, the, the concepts are great. Like the overarching story, like I thought that was cool, but I also don't want to be like, if I'm driving in my car, don't want to be interrupted by the concept. And so whenever you select your out your tracks to be sequenced in a certain order, I can totally understand going with the more musical approach, especially if you're a guy like Mark Tremonti, you know, that's basically eats and shits music, you know, <laughs> um, I, I could definitely take him. I could definitely see him taking that, taking that route. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's the words I would have used to describe that. Well, he does. He eats and shits music. It's fine. I didn't say he makes shit music. I just said so, he eats and shits music. Yeah. Uh, let's go ahead and get into presenting you with uh, my conversation with Mark Tremonti, and we will talk to you afterwards. So I had the pleasure of uh, taking a lunch break with uh, Mark Tremonti, uh, getting to talk about his latest album, A Dying Machine, which is out now via Napalm Records. How are you doing today? Doing great. Yourself? Uh, doing good. Having a uh, liquid lunch at Gatorade right now. Oh, nice, nice. <laughs> um, 
So one of the first things that kind of stands out to me about your your solo output is uh, three records in three years, basically. And, you know, for a lot of people, uh, one record every year and a half to two is uh, sufficient for them. And so I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about your your workflow of just the creative output of uh, doing that. Is that something that, you know, you kind of set out to do just, you know, always staying busy and wanting to try to put out a record every year? I think it's just a matter of, of having, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm in a race to the finish to get the ideas that I've written out there. So I don't, uh, so I'm not an angry old man sitting on a bunch <laughs> of material that I never, never got that I worked so hard on that I never got to release. So it's, uh, you know, I'm thankful that I have uh, these different projects to be able to get all this stuff out or else it would have just uh, disappeared. In the day and age where you hear stories of, you know, people, you know, like there's a band like Taproot who are actually putting out a, a B-Sides record that's eight CDs long of demos and a lot of material and various versions of recordings. You know, at this point, I would assume with the three albums you have, Alter Bridge, and even if you go da- back to the Creed stuff, I would imagine there's there's not a whole lot that's left, you know, on a hard drive somewhere. Is that an accurate statement? Uh, I mean, I have a massive amount of material that's that um, of my own stuff, you know, but... Uh... Yeah, there's not a lot of B-sides sitting around anymore from Creed. I think we've we've released um, everything. Um, I think the record label pretty much released what they had, even without our us saying that we wanted to. I think they just put it out. <laughs> but uh, I think we've released all the Alter Bridge recorded tracks at this point, um, and all the Tremonti tracks. So, but I, like that being said, I've got you know it, it would take a long time to organize it, but I've got tons tons of uh, material kind of sitting around so we can possibly expect a Tremonti album next year no next year i'll be focused on ultra bridge um i'm writing that record right now and, and uh, we go in the studio march and april you know i kind of wanted to uh talk a little bit about the the collaboration of a dying machine the the album and a dying machine the the, the novel that you put out with it um, sadly, I don't have that book, so I had to uh, find a friend uh, to kind of explain a lot about the book to me so I can kind of draw some parallels. But, you know, that's quite an undertaking as well. I mean, like I said, a lot of people would be just happy with being like, I got an album, it's done, thank Lord, like, on to the next thing. So what inspired you to want to go the extra route with this record and create a companion piece for it? You know, there's just certain things in, in my life that I really, really get into, and one of them is reading and uh I'm a huge fan of authors, huge fans of taking these, these journeys that uh, are created in the mind. And um, I've always had this bucket list item of, of getting a book published. And when I came up with the concept for the record, I decided it was the perfect time to try to tackle that. And, you know, I thought if I wrote the book and it was no good, I just, I'd squash it and not put it out. But I had such a fun time putting it together and I'm so happy and proud of, of it. And, uh, you know, thank God I partnered up with uh, John Shirley, who helped me fast track it, and he's he's just a great he's a great partner, a creative partner with me, and uh, I'm very happy with the way it turned out. Were you a fan of John's work with like doing the Bioshock stuff at all, or is that how you found him? You know, no, I um, you know, when I when I first started writing the putting the concept, putting pen to paper. I, I figured, no, I'm just going to do this myself. And then I realized just how slow going it would be. And <laughs> there was no way in the world I'd be able to finish by the time this record cycle was over. The only way I could do it is if I partnered up with somebody. So I was going to 
look at first just in the local yellow pages for ghostwriters, just somebody to help me, you know, I would organize ideas and help have them help me fast track it. But, uh, you know, for a minute, I'm like, you know, who, who knows who you're going to get doing this. So I, I realized that my agent was just, um, his company was, uh, bought by UTA United talent agency and they have an entire literary department and movie department. So, um, I called him and, uh, I got, you know, talked to the head of their literary department and he's, I told him the story and he sent me a first batch of authors and they were all great authors. It's just, none of them really, um, had the voice. I wanted the story to speak through and, um, got another batch, same thing. Everybody was great, but just kind of not the, the vibe. And then finally I came across John Shirley and right off the bat, I loved it. It was perfect. Um, John is, uh, he's he knows i don't need uh where the future he's a specialist in, in where the technology is, is headed and he speaks you know does the ted talks about singularity and, and uh what's to come in 50 years or 100 years and um so when i would explain the story he's like well that's actually plausible there's a company that's developing that technology and and uh it's 40 years from now you're going to be seeing it and he had a way of explaining my ideas and making them seem more plausible because they, because they actually, a lot of them are. You know, something that was kind of interesting in, in gathering as much of the information as I could from the book, in conjunction to the record, you know, I, I kind of got a greater sense of like a, like a rock opera, I guess, for lack of a better term. And it made me wonder, you know, if you would ever want to, and I know this would be a, a probably a bigger financial undertaking than you're maybe able to do currently with Tremonti, but if you would ever want to do kind of like a rock opera, like a live thing, like maybe like an Operation Mindcrime type thing with this down the road, if you could. You know, if it, uh, you know, if, the only, I think the only way that would happen is if, you know, the, the book became a success, which turned into a TV show or a movie. And then all of a sudden it's this cult thing where people would want to see that, you know, I'd, I'd hate to just throw it on people, come see my rock opera. and have <laughs> people. What the hell did I sign up for? Um, yeah, it would have to be something that, that turned into a, a success before we, we thought about, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't, I think it would be kind of cheesy to do this stage acting musical kind of thing you know a few people have brought up this could be a broadway <laughs> presentation no it, i i don't think i i'm the right guy for that kind of thing in a perfect world the book does well and maybe some some director uh, gets a deal with netflix and creates a tv series which would be the probably the coolest thing that could ever happen to a guy like me <laughs> you know interestingly enough i was thinking about the um Sort of just the the parallels between. Should have lost my train of thought. Hold on. <laughs> um, where was I going with that? Oh, you know, thinking about how with the the album and the book kind of being this this entity and kind of talking about a, a greater uh, sense of story. You know, I kind of wondered if you had ever thought of maybe redoing the the album and kind of putting it in the chronological order of that the story would go with. Yeah, I actually thought about doing a special edition that did that, you know, and, and I, I wanted to make the record flow like the story did, but it would have been a real weird uh, listen, you know, especially if, if you didn't know what the plot was, you just listened to a record, it would be a very strange flow to the album dynamically, but um, yeah, I might, you know, I might just simple 
be something as simple as just uh, doing a uh, Apple Music or Spotify playlist that has has the proper order. You know, kind of uh, in shifting gears a little bit, I was uh, actually listening to a, a podcast, Doc Coyle from Bad Wolves uh, podcast, and uh, he his band announced that they're going to go play with Nickelback, and a lot of the fans started their fans, the band's fans, started shitting on you know, playing with Nickelback, why would you do that, all this kind of stuff. And you know, when I was listening to your interview with Josta uh, that you did a little while ago, and you were talking about how uh, basically that Alter Bridge, and I would say even Tremonti, is bigger overseas because Creed never went over there. And there wasn't this kind of stigma attached to either of those projects because of Creed. And looking at your comment about that, and thinking about what Doc is saying on his podcast about how basically, you know, there's all these people who who talk about this band sucks and this is the worst band. And you see all these lists that, you know, sites will run and so forth. And it kind of made me wonder, and I don't think I've ever heard you be asked this or answer this question. But, you know, as one of the first bands I can really think of in the Internet age where people would just slag on you for really nothing just an, an opinion and maybe a vocal minority one because having seen you guys a couple of times i can definitely tell you arenas were full so someone's full of shit but all that being said have you kind of do you, when you see people slag on a band like nickelback or whatever does it kind of make you i don't know if resentful is the word but just kind of like you know because of this culture where people are saying shit it can and does kind of have an impact on those that are being talked about negatively. Like it impacts maybe their financials and so forth. Like, is that, I don't know if I'm asking the question I, the way I necessarily want it to come out, but you know, it was something I've just kind of been thinking about today and listening to, you know, like I said, Doc's thing. And then listening to how you made the comment about, you know, since you never toured Europe, you didn't have this bad shit on it on, you know, ultra bridge and so forth. So do I commiserate kind of with, with, the comments yeah i mean it's uh i went through it and when i was in it it uh really pissed me off to see anything you know negative about the band but um you know even like even like the biggest stars in the world you take like a michael jackson if you want to have tens of millions of fans you're going to have a million haters out there as well you know no matter who you are so the bigger you are the bigger target you have on your back and uh um you know, especially when you have a ton of success, people, uh, people love the underdog. People hate the guy on top <laughs> or the girl on top. And, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's tough to stay on top. You know, I even just yesterday, my, my song came on the radio and I didn't, and it was a, t- a um, my kids flicked through the stations and a Taylor Swift song came on and, Oh, this song sucks. I'm like, Oh, oh Taylor Swift's no good. I'm like, what are you talking about? Do you, do you know how, what talent it takes? to fill stadiums around the world and keep on writing these songs and perform to the level she does and have Mick Jagger come on the stage with you and have this star come on the stage with you and you hold your own against all these people. It takes a lot. So for people just to slag on the top people is, I think it's wrong. Try to, you know, take the bitter metal guy that, that plays in his bedroom. Uh, you get up and play in, in, in a stadium in, in front of that many people and see how difficult it is because it's not uh, it's not just sitting in a chair uh, in your room in a perfect little environment. You know, it's, uh, it's a lot of other factors. Yeah, most definitely. And it, you know, I I know, like I said, in listening to your talk with Josta, I think he even hit on the fact that it probably made you 
work harder and appreciate more of what you've been able to do with Tremont, or with Tremonti and with Alter Bridge at this point. And, you know, a common thing, too, I've heard you say in other interviews is that, you know, you look at Creed as kind of like it was one of your first bands, but it just happened to be the band that took off. And I feel like that's kind of got to be weird. Like, looking back, have you thought about just how interesting that is? Like, one of your first bands that you did in your early 20s just became this big thing, but it's still the benchmark that people compare you to, even though you have such a wealth of material that clearly shows that you've grown as a person and as a musician since then. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny over, over in Europe, it's different, but over here, you know, I, I always tell the story, like I'll, uh, I'll go down to the local great clips or whatever to get a haircut. And they're like, so what do you do? Oh, I'm a musician. Yeah. You in a band? Yeah. I'm in a band. What band? I like Tremonti. Like, Oh, I don't know. Tremonti. Alter Bridge. No Creed. Oh, Creed. I love that. You know, in America, <laughs> that's, that's, you know, they, I'm known for, for Creed, but over in Europe, it's different, you know? So it's, um, yeah, it kind of, sometimes it's, it's, uh, it doesn't make me angry, but sometimes it's just a little disappointing when people have no idea what I've done since Creed, because I've done more outside of Creed than I ever did in Creed. You know, I've done more records outside of the band. I've had a lot more years outside of that band, but that just happened to be my uh, biggest, uh, biggest success. But uh, I feel like that was a band that I was in when I was kind of a kid, you know, and I think I've grown a lot since then. And hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully when, when my kids look back at, at the legacy or whatnot, they'll, they'll see uh, the other stuff I've done as well. You know, kind of shifting gears a little bit to Alter Bridge, I got to say it was kind of interesting. Um, I think if I read correctly, you had used a seven-string guitar on this last Alter Bridge record. Is that something you've been playing around with a lot more, is using a, a non-six-string guitar? No, just that song. You know, I'm not really a fan of seven-string guitars. I, I figured I'd, I'd try to do something different for the record and did that song and now when we play that song live i hate playing the seventh string so uh i don't know if i'll go back to it you know it might just be that song i was gonna say uh so no no uh tremani prs seven string guitar coming out in production absolutely not (laughs) uh speaking a little bit uh to the guitar playing as well you know something that i've always thought was interesting and now with these you know uh, what is it, the Steve Vai, Axe, Shredder, whatever, you know, you have all these tours that are various people from all demographics of the, the guitar playing spectrum, and, I mean, you're no slouch on guitar, and I've always been kind of surprised that no one has, I've never seen you on any of these, like, has, do people just not approach you to, to do any of these things, or? No, I've, I've gotten approached to do it, it's just, um, I'm always just touring around the, you know, around the clock, you know, so it's hard to, it's hard to set it, you know, every time I put out a record, I've got a certain window to be able to promote it. And, um, uh, Joe Satriani's camp had reached out to do it. He has this camp in January, uh, you know, with all the top players that go out there and teach, you know, these people sign up for a weekend or, or whatnot. And, uh, he asked me to be one of their instructors and, and, uh, it's, it's tough cause I have a tour, you know, scheduled in January and I just, uh, you know, we plan so far ahead. It's it's tough to carve out uh, a, a given time because you never know what's going to pop up. Down the road, uh, would that be something you would like to do? Because I feel like that would really, I think it would put you in a completely different light for a lot of people that probably, for whatever reason, don't don't know how proficient at playing and all the various styles you actually can play in. 
I mean, it would be, it would definitely be, uh, uh, an experience for sure. You know, it's, um, I'm not going to lie. I'd probably be a little bit intimidated to get up there and play with Steve I and Joe Satriani every night, but, uh, in a in a perfect world, before that would ever happen, I'd get to sit down and jam with them, uh, become friendly with them before I I feel that pressure. It would be really interesting to see. I would uh, definitely enjoy seeing you in that kind of environment and just kind of letting loose more more than more hanging than you do now. For, hanging on for dear life. Do you do you <laughs> actually kind of jam that way? I mean, it seems like I haven't really heard a whole lot of stories. You just kind of really free flowing kind of going, you know, like off the cuff like that. Is that something you, you tend to do like at home? Oh yeah. That's what I do most of the time. It's just my live. You got to play the songs from the record or everybody gets pissed, you know? Um, so it's a lot of times, you know, if we do, um, you know, we're on tour and we do a song that we haven't done in a while, we got to learn it that day and play it that night. I'll just improvise the solo instead of relearning it. Um, you know, sound checks, we do a lot of improvising, you know, doing a lot of improv and at home when I pick up the guitar, I, I improvise right off the bat. I think, uh, the best way to improve on the guitar is to improvise. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, something, something that, uh, every, everybody needs to develop. And it's, 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 it's tough to, to be, uh, to never make a mistake when you're doing that, but it, it's part of the excitement and the magic of it. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I, I I've kind of wondered too, what has been, you know, just out of a, of a jam session of just kind of free flow writing, what has been one of the songs that has come out of it that has impressed you the most? Like where you're like, wow, I pff, didn't know that was, <laughs> didn't know that was coming. Um, I think, uh, when we were writing Fortress and, and we were working out Cry of Achilles, that kind of came together on the spot, you know, and it, uh, you know, that, that was, uh, that was a great capture of lightning in the, in the bottle, bottle moment. Kind of, uh, you know, talking about the the last Alter Bridge release, you know, the live at Robert Albert Royal Albert Hall, excuse me. You know, a lot of bands, I don't think, can pull off, you know, getting to play with an orchestra because I feel like it's it's so hard. Like, there's so many moving parts that, like, any mistake is just gonna kind of throw it off the rails. Like. And I think it's been very interesting listening to that record the last couple of days and just being able to actually hear all the nuance in the live setting, like, you know, even hearing the brass and hearing, you know, everything kind of in a good pair of headphones, how much attention was actually paid to the mixing after the fact, you know, because it seems like that's a your sound guy or the sound person as a whole did a fucking great job. But beyond that, I would assume there was a little bit more aftercare that had to be kind of done to make sure all the levels were, were good after the fact for like a CD. Yeah, no, Brian Sperber mixed it for us and he, he did the, um, you know, the Heineken music hall and the live at the O2. He mixes all of our live stuff. And, uh, I think that's where he's really, he really excels at that. And he, he flew out to the show, made sure all of his, uh, line sends from all the instruments sounded great and were, were recorded properly and you know he's just he's just a master at what he does so you know so it, you know it turned out it turned out great because he put a lot of work into it you know it took him twice as long because he instead of mixing four guys he had to mix 56 guys you know <laughs> and, and girls so it was uh but that's his specialty and he killed it um like you said you can hear the clarity with with all the instruments and 
some songs there's there's more space than others to really hear the orchestra, but I think he did a good job of, of mixing it all. When working with an orchestra like that and kind of hearing a sort of reimagining or a reinterpretation, I guess would be a better way of saying it, of some of the songs that you've had for, for a long time, were you kind of impressed with what was kind of presented in the spaces that the the orchestra was able to play in? Yeah, absolutely. You know, at first when we were putting this together, um, I think we all thought we were going to have to spend a ton of time working on their um, what they were putting to our music. And when we got the first few, uh, I think Cry of Achilles was actually the first thing we heard, and we were blown away with it. And, uh, you know, I figured I'd be like, you know, that violin's doing something that's irritating me, let's change that. Or this is doing something, I don't like that oboe, let's change that. But um, when we were done, we just kind of sat back and said, this is going to be killer, you know. And uh, after we heard the third or fourth song, we were like, you know what? it's in your hands. You guys are killing it. There's nothing we can say that's going to improve it. Let's just go with it. And um, when we got, we thought we'd have time to rehearse these things through and through at, at the end of the day, we rehearsed each song once oh boy. and went up there and performed it and uh, recorded it. So what you're seeing is pretty much the second time we played these songs. You know, kind of a, in wrapping up, you know, I, I gotta say like that live, the live album, it's really crazy to, especially, you know, I'm thinking of uh, Open open Your Eyes, like the last song you guys close it out with, and hearing the crowd sing, you know, Miles' like, oh, parts so loudly. And, like, it gives me goosebumps every time I listen to it because it's just, it's it's one of those things where, I don't know, it's that intangible thing that makes going to live shows so amazing because it's a shared experience, yet it's unique unto every crowd. And... It makes me wonder, like, does that kind of go away after that maybe happens night in and night out for you? No, I mean, that night, um, you know, that was one of those goosebumps every song kind of kind of performance. You know, it was uh, hearing hearing that orchestra supporting your songs that you've become so familiar with that were your babies that you've created and hear all that production put behind it was uh, probably one of the most exciting performances that I've ever done in my life. So it's... Uh, that was definitely still bumping it all night long. I can't imagine you go to bed very quickly after <laughs> that show. <laughs> no, it was time that, you know, the first night, we, you know, it was a two night performance. So the, the first night, you know, we had to be, you know, we had to be good. We were very happy after the first night. Cause we're like, you know, we can do this. It sounded good. Now, now we're comfortable. Let's kill it the second night. And the, the DV is pretty much the second night. Okay. I think in its entirety. And, um, uh, when we played that second night, all the pressure was off because we knew we already uh, had a had a one time run through it live, and uh, I think we all just felt comfortable and we relaxed, and and I think that's when the magic came out. Yeah, most definitely. It's it's a great keepsake for those who uh, haven't seen it or don't own it. Um, and wrapping up, you know, you're starting your tour here pretty quickly. Uh, European tour it goes starts on November fourth in uh, Portugal and ends December tenth in the Netherlands. Uh, what are you most looking forward to on this European run? Uh, you know, it's just the, it's it's our home for this for this band and, and Alter Bridge. It's where it's where the fans come out in the largest numbers and support the band the, mo- the bands the most. So it's uh, I just um, uh, every night every night over there is, uh, I look forward to. I think uh, you know we have our we have our key markets over there that that show the most support. But um, that being said, we love each and every show. And then uh, lastly, where can people find you and or the band online? 
Uh, you can go to marksamani.com or fret12.com um, for for all the information on. Uh, we do VIP packages. We do guitar clinics and bass clinics and drum clinics and uh, meet and greet stuff and um, all the tour dates. So it's all it's all on there. And uh, I always like to end these out with a song. So what would you like me to end it out to? Let's do Dime Machine title track. There we go. Well, Mark, thank you again for taking the time and enjoy the rest of your day and uh, safe travels on the tour. Great. Thanks so much. Thank you. So that was my conversation with Mark Tremonti of Alter Bridge, Tremonti, and Creed. And uh, I had a lot of fun with that. Like I said in the intro, um, you know, I knew I was going to get about 20, 25 minutes with him and I wanted to make the most of it. And I really thought, you know, I thought every like section of things we talked about, whether it be, you know, the the new album and, you know, kind of him wanting to write something a little differently, kind of take a different approach to the writing to even, you know, like I, I didn't want to ask a ton about Creed because I feel like that's just been beaten to death. And, you know, I'm not going to be like, yo, when's the new Creed reunion happening or, you know, any of this kind of stuff. But it's, it's interesting to look at this day and age now where, where you get all these things where it's like, oh, top 10 worst hard rock bands or things like this, you, you see these like stupid lists. And, you know, in the day and age now where basically we have, um, it just was, uh, I'm sure you've seen these pieces coming out. Uh, the one from pitchfork, I think on Greta von fleet. Yeah. Where basically this dude just trashes the band and the fans and all this kind of stuff. And then I just, uh, in a Facebook group that I'm in of media people, uh, someone shared this thing written by, I want to say it's the Washington post. I could be wrong. Um, but like a reputable news, credible news source and or news site, I should say. And uh, basically it was this person trashing Post Malone saying that Post Malone is the poster child, no pun intended, of uh, just a, a movement of culture, of like youth culture that's just lazy and, and all this kind of stuff and is famous for nothing and, and all these kind of things. And it's like as you read this like really well-worded, well-put-together op piece it just reads like somebody who doesn't get it which is fine you cannot get things and 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 have an opinion on it that's fine but to to literally like have them slag on the fans that are in attendance slag on the artists performing like all this kind of stuff it's like you know like we've made comments before and actually it's something that i've been getting like you and i have been getting lauded for from the juggalo community uh for our twisted episode and people just being like i think it's really great that you two are putting you know you're you're self-admittedly not big into the scene but like just because maybe it's not something you're super familiar with or that you love that you're not also going to slag on it either and to me it's like that's the approach that this this writer didn't have on this thing for about post malone and it's fans and all that kind of stuff. And so I ended up making a comment on this Facebook thing after spending, you know, the 10 minutes reading this long article. And I was like, you know, I went to go do a show review for Janet Jackson. And I was starting to write, like, things like, it's really terrible that she's lip syncing so obviously. And that the band's shrouded in blackness. Like, they're not up in the forefront or, you know, like, you know, a person, like, a pop person like Justin Timberlake. Like, the band's kind of at the epicenter of everything. Like, the because they are a part of the show. And so it was kind of one of those things, like, I started kind of being negative about the experience. And then my wife just kind of, like, tapped me on the shoulder because she saw some of the notes I was making. She goes, people don't come to shows like this because they want to see the band or because they care about who if they're lip-syncing. They just come here to have a good fucking time and hear the songs being performed. Yeah. And 
when I kind of stopped for a second and looked around and just saw, like, you can tell there are people probably who don't go to shows very often, and this is, like, a once, like, maybe the one show they go to all year. Yeah. And they're having a good time and all that kind of stuff, and I was like, fuck, I guess that's that's really what it's about is to have a good time and to let go and just have fun. And the fact that, you know, someone's sitting here slamming on Post Malone and slamming on all of his fans and shit, it's like, that's like, we can go all the way back to the time of the Beatles where everyone's like, the Beatles are the lowest common denominator music. Like, it's it's just a fad. It won't last. And you can go through every decade from there on forth and sit there and say anything about the, the popular music of the culture of the times. And for the most part, you're going to find people who are writing like, oh, this is, you know, popular because of X, Y, and Z, or this is the downfall of music because of X, Y, and Z, and the generation that supports it is is going to ruin America or something. Get off my lawn. Yeah, Yeah. and it's just like one of those things like where, you know, I kind of get tired of reading all this shit, and to kind of bring it back to to Mark, it's like, you know, Creed has been one of those bands that's been fucking shit on for how long now? Almost probably two decades? Yeah, it's like definitely a basic bro trope now. Like, oh, you still make fun of Creed in 2018, you know? But, like, people still do it. They're like, oh, it's so terrible, whatever. It's like they're not even a fucking band anymore, man. Give it a rest. Yeah. Like, honestly, like, and it's so easy to be negative. And like, that's something that I still struggle with, man. Like when I'm listening to these bands and I'm listening to like a whole career, you know, like in a week or something, it's like, it's very easy for me to immediately start shitting on it. (laughs) And there's been times where I've gone through notes and I've revised and I've re-listened and I've, you know, gone and did something else that was distracting while listening to it or whatever, because I've come to find throughout all of this podcasting about music that, like, there's not a lot of stuff out there that I straight up hate. Like, there's a few things, but, like, that's just, you can chalk that up to just normal human taste. There are some things people like and don't like, but it's getting to the point where, like, it's the most amateur thing you can do to just go into something and shit on it. Like, you can you can find fault with anything. It really takes a good listening ear or a good awareness of your surroundings. Like you were talking about, John, about just being at the show and looking around at the people that are there and trying to trying to figure out what they're getting out of it that maybe necessarily you're not getting out of it. And um, so I think it's, it's actually harder to positively review something than it is to negatively review something. And um, I think it's getting worse and worse. Is like that's my old guy statement of the podcast. Is I think people are actually getting worse with it. There's so much more negativity out there than positivity. And like, if you don't like something, that's fine. You could say I don't like it without being a dick about it. Yeah, I think I think in light of the Greta Von Fleet thing, I just feel like we're in this pseudo like one point well, six out of ten. Give me a fucking break. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't want to say it's outrage culture, but I think we're finding that obviously negative things will be spread around a lot more than, than positive things. And case in point with that Greta Von Fleet article, it's like, okay, like it shit on the band really hard. And, and, you know, like I said, and it's fans and for all the things that, you know, they do and want to be and all this kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, it's like it was more of a, you know, people commenting like, yeah, I agree with this or man, wow, this is crazy. Did you read this thoughts or, you know, it's just like I said, bad news will spread so quickly that it's almost like this thing where it's like, is that what we're doing with our journalism to because, you know, print media and so forth. And and I I don't necessarily want to say proper journal journalistic 
integrity is is being sacrificed but i feel like at a certain point it's almost like you know here we are we have this greta von fleet you know article go out it goes viral basically um and then you know like i said this uh post malone thing gets shared and uh, like i said people are kind of coming to the defense of of the site that's posted it going like oh this is a reputable site they don't post shit for clicks blah 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 blah. well then someone apparently ended up finding out that the person who wrote this article used to work for pitchfork or wherever the greta von fleet one came from and so it's like okay i didn't do any research so he may that person may not um and it may just be misinformation somebody else is saying or whatever but it is one of those things where it's almost like, well, this Greta Von Fleet thing was kind of, you know, they're a big band. Everyone's talking about them. Let's shoot them down a peg or three. Same with Post Malone. Post Malone now is everywhere. Well, let's fucking slag on him and just see what it stirs up. Like, write a good write a good review, article, whatever. But the more negative you can be on it, like, probably will work best for us. Well, yeah, the inter- the editorial is more entertaining overall. And that's that's really what people are going for now. And so if we talk about journalistic integrity, you know, true journalism is is devoid of your opinion. You are literally just reporting the news as it is. Right. Does All the Remains have a new album coming out? Yes. Actually, I just spoke with uh, Phil. He said it's done. Right. That's it. Yeah. Without you offering any of your own comments or thoughts or anything like that. That's what that's what journalism is. And unfortunately for our um outrage culture i'm gonna go ahead and use the term even if you don't want to okay um but our outrage culture isn't interested in that shit they're just interested in the thing that's the most entertaining and the thing that they can say to people to be like oh yeah all that remains huge band their new album's already done but you know what it's probably already done because it's total shit (laughs) yeah yeah and and then like i guess somebody comes out and like gives them five dollars and tells them that they're special i don't I don't know what happens after that, but that seems to be what people are after. Well, and you know, like the whole reason kind of, you know, we've been talking at length about, you know, more so me, been talking at length about just the prevailing culture of shit talking because we have a voice. We have have a voice because we have the internet. We all have Facebook. We all have Twitter. We all have these platforms to speak on, whether we have five people that follow us or we have, you know, millions that do. We all have this this platform to you know, voice our opinions more so than we ever have. And, you know, I forget who it was that was on recently that was like, oh, I wish, you know, <laughs> I wish most of most people did not because uh, it lessens the platform that the people who should have it and have, you know, have something to say. They've worked very hard to get this platform, whereas now everyone has one and doesn't necessarily use it the right way. Um, quick comment on that. I just saw someone the other day uh, – comment they shared something it was on twitter it was a retweet and someone goes oh it was jordan lewis who used to play for michigan i think he plays for dallas cowboys now um someone wrote a sports thing real quickly wrote something i don't remember exactly what it was but it was like kind of shitty and not no fact checking no nothing just a, an opinion or whatever and jordan goes yo you got a blue check mark that means you influence people. You're an influencer to people on a large scale. Maybe you need to like, ha- like that means something. Don't just post bullshit. Like you're, you should be above this. And like I thought about it for a minute, and it's like that's a completely different take on being verified and, and being an influencer than I've really ever thought of. And yeah, that's interesting. And so it's been very weird that like in the last like week since I've done this conversation while only a very minute part of this conversation talks about 
you know, basically Creed being what people slacking on Creed has done to Mark in trying to be successful here in the States with Alter Bridge and his solo project while being unfazed by it everywhere else because of this internet culture we live in. It's interesting to think of a time that, like you were saying, Creed's not done anything in a long time and there's more Alter Bridge and Tremonti records than there are Creed records. And yet because of everything that was said about Creed has impacted and affected Mark's ability to do things here in the States. And to me, that's fucking crazy. It's super crazy, especially like if you take Alter Bridge and compare him to Creed. Yeah. Like night and day. Yeah. Difference. I mean, Alter Bridge is like, in my opinion, 10 times the band that Creed was. And it's it's like, and even the Tremonti stuff, it's interesting. Like, it's a lot more interesting than you would think it would be on paper. But the problem is, is the paper skewed because it's throwing Creed out there every three seconds. Like, ex-Creed guitar player, new solo project, blah, 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 blah. People just keep scrolling. But, like, you listen to the shit and you're like, this is really great. Like, if it was called something else and it didn't have that association to it, it it would be huge. And I think that's, you know, like what you were saying, a lot easier for him to do when he's not in the States because everybody in the States is just like, you were in Creed, so we don't give a shit. Even though, like, most people that don't like Creed really just don't like Scott Stapp. Yeah. You know, it's like, and Mark Tremonti's over here like, well, I'm a musician, and this is my livelihood. This is what I do for a living, you know? Right. And it just it just blows my mind, you know, that people wouldn't even, wouldn't even give it a chance, really. Um, but I think he handled that question as gracefully as he could have. As we're wrapping up now, uh, I would like to send a shout-out to Alfonso um, for uh, linking me up with a friend of his, Kyle Ewers, who is in two bands here in the uh, Michigan area, A Monster Calls and Fear and Grace. And Kyle basically uh, is a Mark Tremonti file fan. You know, oh, just wow has the book has like even paid for a guitar lesson from Tremonti when he was on tour. Like, you Hell know, yeah. is a, is a big Tremonti fan. And as such, you know, offered me some insight into a book that I wasn't able to get cause it's, it's sold out and they don't have them available. You can't find them online. Um, so as someone who has read the book, uh, was able to give me some insight into what the book was about, gave me some interesting questions to ask about that. And just some interesting Tremonti trivia as a whole. Um, so again, I uh, want to give a shout out to Kyle Ewers uh, for helping me in preparation for this interview. Uh, much appreciated. Um, I have no qualms in saying sometimes if I'm not super well-versed uh, in someone's catalog, in whatever, case in point with Twisted or the King Gordy Ups, I will go talk to someone who I know is a big fan of those things, and I will sit down, have some drinks with them, and kind of go like, here's what I'm thinking. Is this a stupid question? If you Dude, heard... that's how I got on this show. <laughs> that, that is <laughs> With true, the actually. Hopeful thing. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's a that's a strength of mine is realizing that uh, I, I can't know everything as much as I would like to. <laughs> but with all that said, uh, we are going to end this episode out. So if you would like to follow Mark on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can basically find him all at Mark Tremonti. Um, from there, 
Search out Alter Bridge. Yeah, go to marktremonti.com as well. Keep up with all the uh, touring information going on. As we said, uh, currently on a European tour that'll wrap up most of this year. And as you heard in the interview, uh, as soon as all this is wrapped up, uh, already working on the new Alter Bridge record, uh, which I got to say, the uh, live uh, at Royal Albert Hall CD I, and some of the DVD that I've been able to see, whew, fucking magic on that fucking thing. Like the crowd participation and the way that the band played and with mark saying that basically that was a, a one one practice and then we're playing wow it's it's amazing um so if you are a fan of uh, alter bridge or whatever please go check that out you can hear it on itunes you can probably buy it uh alterbridge.com i assume is the website go pick up the dvd uh looks really great and uh dan where can people follow you you can follow me on twitter at discuss metal dan you can follow me on facebook under daniel terry very creative name, I know. And uh, you can follow my other podcast, Discography Discussion, at discussmetal.com. That's it. I don't see anybody else following me anywhere else. <laughs> don't go to my don't go to my porn hub. Don't go to, you know, any of that stuff. And if you would like to keep up with our show sponsors, Moshpit Nation, you can find them on moshpitnation.com. Facebook is Moshpit Nation West Capital MI. Twitter and Instagram are simply Moshpit Nation. And if you would like to keep up with our show sponsor, The Bean Bastard, you can at thebeanbastard.com. Facebook and Instagram are simply The Bean Bastard. And if you would like to keep up with us over here at the podcast, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Johnson Title Podcast. Shout out to the six or seven recent subscribers over on YouTube and the constant uh, comments that people are leaving on. Uh, the latest episodes greatly appreciated love hearing conversation and feedback uh so let's keep that going you know comment on the facebook pages comment on instagram wherever you are finding the podcast leave comments rate review and subscribe uh dan will give you a real quick explanation as to why that matters yeah rating reviewing and subscribing really matters because every single thing that we do with this podcast is monitored by the platform that we're posted on. So like, I think with John's it's SoundCloud, but also on Apple podcasts and, and sites like that, basically anywhere where you're listening to the podcast, they keep track of all that stuff. They keep track of how many reviews we get and they keep track of, you know, how many um, subscribers we have. And what they do with that is if a podcast starts to seem successful, which in their eyes, those numbers are what makes it successful, they'll start recommending our podcast to people that aren't listening to it. And that's what we want. That's that's one of the ways that we can grow, and it is absolutely the best free option for you to help us out. We also have some uh, some paid options, too, if you're into that. And speaking of those paid options, if you would like to support us monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash Podcast. And uh, we got a couple of bonus episodes. Uh, Dan's been busy with work, and uh, so that's kind of slowed down our output of uh, extra bonus content. But uh, $2 unlocks all of that, and uh, we'll also get you a shout-out on the episode. So once again, shout-out to our patron, Sarah Schneider, for donating to the podcast. And uh, hopefully you're enjoying those uh, episodes. And we have a few already in mind for our next handful. But uh, like I said, Dan's been been super busy making the dineros over on his end. And if you would also like to support us a different way monetarily, if you would like to be a show sponsor, uh, email us, johnsontitlepod at gmail.com, and we can discuss rates and uh, all that kind of stuff. And without further ado, we are going to end this episode as we always do with a song. And as you heard Mark say, he wanted me to play it out to the title track off of his newest record, A Dying Machine, out now via Napalm Records. So we are going to end it to A Dying Machine, and we will talk to you next time. <laughs>